Hi, it's Will. I'm back. I'm back for another bonus episode to kind of get your taste buds wetted for the new season that is coming out tomorrow. That's right. Season seven for Children of Dune is dropping Friday, February 9th, 2024. And as a part of the celebration, I'm going to be giving you guys a little bit of bonus content here on the main feed. This is actually a piece of our Patreon feed that's going on right now and it's part of our current series that's covering true detective night country i'm a big 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 true detective fan so i'm super stoked to be covering this series uh so i'm going to be giving you guys this first episode for part one our coverage on it uh i think we do a pretty good job diving into the details of this series there's a lot of callbacks back into season one of true detective i'm also a big season two fan i know i know even our even our longtime listener big cheese daddy the guy that's the guy that's really in charge here, he hates season two. Well, I shouldn't say hate. That's that's a strong word. But we had some words about it, and you can probably check out the comments. But the first thing you need to do is sign up for our Patreon if you want to get if you want to get access to all of this Patreon content and then some. All right. So it's in there in the links. Patreon.com/slash Chapter by Chapter Podcast. You can sign up for as little as one dollar, and then you get a weekly-ish podcast featuring your favorite cheese boys steve and will there's tons of content to get into i i I can't i can't do the math right now but i would i would arbor a guess that there's somewhere in the ballpark of 100 patreon episodes that you can get just by signing up right now over 100 podcasts around 100 podcasts you never know right so sign up for that if you guys like this next episode uh other than that i'll see you guys tomorrow for the season premiere of Children of Dune. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's Patreon edition of the Chapter by Chapter podcast. I am your host, Will. And I'm Steve. Welcome to the Patreon. Hope you're all having a great time out there in life. Yes, uh, I do want to say thank you, everybody, for your patience. This week has been a weird one for both of us, so we're getting a little... We're, we're a little behind, but that's okay. We'll come back ahead. You can hear it, everyone. You can hear him greasing his wheels back up. This happens when he loses the grease on his wheels. Yeah. Gets yeah, all yeah. janked up like the Tin Man. Yeah. I watched Return to Oz the other day, the sequel to The Wizard of Oz. It's horrifying. A really? Abomination right? of a sequel. But it's also really fun if you like weird shit and do drugs. You okay? Mm. Sounds like it sounds like you're Sounds like you're not great. I just wish you'd seen Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to do something different for this episode, and we're going to see if it sticks because, you know, us. Um, There's a new season of True Detective. True Detective 
don't think I've talked about it on the show, but I love True Detective. Big fan of True Detective. Okay, I go I'm back to things like, around on this episode. I'm all right. I'm move over. All right, all right. I'm, I'm hopping in. Okay, I'm hopping in. Let me put on my hat. All right. True Detective. Nice Will loves True Detective. He's talked about this it. before that he really loves True Detective, but now he really loves True Detective. But Will texts me really love, and he says we're gonna do True Detective on the Patreon, and I said okay. I haven't I haven't watched much True Detective. I watched that first season like what was that like nine years ago? Yeah, I think so. Seven years ago or something when that came out. That was a long time ago. It was Matthew McConaughey going around. I think it might be ten at this point. You might be yeah, I think you might actually be right about that. It feels like a 2012-2013 joint. The first one was really good, but I do know it's like an anthology. It's an anthology, uh so you don't really I assume you don't really need to be caught up to date and no it no. always it got me into this weird um debate with myself where it's like a lot of stuff gets compared to twin peaks right a lot of stuff gets like this twin peaks vibe uh right. associated with it and true detective is is one of these things but a lot of the time it's like where is the actual line between true twin peaks flavor that they established that lynch and Mark Frost established as this like, uh, yeah. you know, quirky paranormal soap opera detective drama situation. Yeah, and and the, and the lines get murky with things like just because something's like a detective uh, murder who done it in a small town, they're like it's like Twin Peaks, and it is in a lot You're of right. ways. But I will say, with that all being said, that season four of True Detective is like <laughs> Twin Peaks. Kind of the closest. It's. <laughs> It's the closest I think the True Detective seasons have been to that Twin Peaks vibe. But you're right though, like the Twin Peaks casts such a large shadow over mysteries in general that I think a lot of people kind of confuse that like calling things Twin Peaks like just because it's a mystery and a little bit weird. Like that's like being weird doesn't necessarily mean it's very Twin Peaksy. Like it, you're not going to get a it helps. Un- like a, a completely uncut 15 minute scene of a guy mopping a floor in twin in true detective. You're not going to get that. Maybe you will. I don't know. We haven't seen the rest of this. Season. Yeah. But that's all, but that's season three of twin peaks. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. That's different. That <laughs> is different. That's, You're right. okay, that's okay. season three shit where David that's Lynch, that's David Lynch stuff. Wants. in, in, yeah. in like 1990, he wasn't getting away with eight minutes of mopping the floor on cable television. It wasn't happening. Right. You're right. But, he, but, he did all that. He did all that stuff differently, and I do. But I think what I do mean is, it does. It does need to have the weird factor. It does need to have not just weird, but a supernatural factor. It needs to also have the small town. It needs to have the F, the FBI, the murder. You know, it needs a big fat greasy guy who goes over to Canadian strip clubs, and you know, a guy who loves plants. Yeah. There's well, a that, that's a very key factor there. That that's that's important to mention because the the ensemble that Twin Peaks has is critical to the identity of that show. And it's hard for mysteries to develop that kind of identity. Like you don't get like a like a big red, you know, you don't get a a a Billy, you know, in What's a lot a, of these modern mysteries. What do you mean big it's red? It's much I forgot. Who are uh, Big, Big Red and Billy? What are you talking about? <laughs> Who are Big Red and Billy? Billy. Isn't Big this Ed. called Bobby? Bobby? <laughs> yeah. This is great. I'm fucking it up. But you're right. You don't get Big Red and Billy. <laughs> and where? And that's, <laughs> and that's what we're really hoping that season four of True Detective. I didn't see season two and three. I don't need you. Because season four... We're bringing in Big Red and Billy. I'm really hoping for it. I'm um, really hoping but for no, it. They're, they're close. You were close with the names. I honestly like these names way better. I think I got to work it into my uh, these names into my mystery RPG that I've been like working on the side that I'm probably never going to play because I keep just developing it and developing and developing it. I'll just, it'll just become a book eventually. Which kind of yeah. Write cool. down Big Red. And write down 
Billy. All right, I got it. But yeah, yeah whatever. It doesn't it's not have compared that... to Twin Peaks anymore. It's it's yeah. It does. This isn't about Twin Peaks. It has it has flavors of it, but it still feels like its own thing. So True Detective, I almost called it Twin Peaks again. True Detective season four. This one doesn't even is not even called like season four. Like previous seasons of True Detective have been called season two, season three. This one's called True Detective Night Country. It has an actual like creative name, brand name smacked onto it, so that you know it's very distinct from everything else. Night Country is it with a K? Like Batman? No, no. Uh, but Country is with a K. Batman's probably not showing up in this. Oh. <laughs> How many K's are there? Uh, um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's already like coming in with a different flavor. And another thing that's different about this particular season, it's not Nick Pozzolato who does the other, who has done the other uh, True Detective seasons. He's the cre- He was the creator of the first season. He treated it as a book at first, but then it grew, grew to a point where it was like, you know what, this is this might actually be a season of television. That's where the first season came through, and it was originally just going to be a limited series, but the reception was the reception that it got. It restarted Matthew McConaughey's career alongside Dallas Buyers Club and the rest is history. He did two other I seasons after that, yeah. but the other two seasons weren't nearly as well-received. I like them a lot. In fact, I Colin think I like Farrell, the second right? season more than Colin, yeah. The, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell is lightning in Colin the bottle Farrell. in season two, and Vince Vaughn. I'm gonna say it. He doesn't get the pra- praise he deserves from that season. I'm gonna say it, and he's not getting it here on this podcast. I'm gonna I'll say give it. it to him. Here's all and watch that fucking season because he was in it. Uh, third season I thought was the. I won't watch it. I don't think. I don't think. I don't want to say the weakest, but the least interesting to me. The least impactful. It was doing cool things with like t- like how it like wove time and memory into it. I don't want to spoil it. I didn't watch it. Nobody's listening's ever seen it. I didn't watch but it. This is about season four, the night, the night king, the night. I'm giving context. The night uh, country. Context matters, Steve. The nightland. <laughs> yeah, nightland. Um, Batman. So night what country. is? What is True Detective? Night country. True Detective Night Country, brand new season, uh, focused on uh, a small Alaskan town. Jodie Foster, running Jody through Foster. the woods. She befriends a raccoon, and a raccoon becomes her little detective sidekick. And one of the raccoons, the raccoon's husband, gets murdered in cold blood by a suspected alligator man in a hat. I could keep going, but... You know, let's get back to Batman. <laughs> True Detective, <laughs> Night Country. Uh, Jodie Foster uh, is the main star here, but the uh, co-star here, her name is, um, I don't think I'm saying the last name right, but her name is, uh, I don't think I'm saying the name right at all. Uh, Callie, Kaylee or Callie Rice. Right, Riaz. I see. Gonna. Callie. But. Rice Riaz. Yeah. But she's super interesting as an actor herself because this is only her second or third role ever. Has never acted before. You want to know what she did before this? And it's going to make complete sense when when I say it. Okay. I don't know if I... Okay. What did she do? She was a boxer. What? A boxer. Wow. Did she have those piercings on her face? Piercings in her face. I'm, well, I'm assuming she took him out when she was boxing. I would assume so. Yeah. This character has piercings in her cheeks. Like, I think it's like dermal piercings in your cheeks there, right? It's, but yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's a cop. Dimple piercings. And I was just wondering about, about that. You don't see a lot of cops with uh, dimple piercings. Well, she's a cool cop. But it's Alaska, right? I guess. And she's a cool cop. She's not like she's not like one of those regular boring cops. She's a cool cop. It's different. She is. Okay, well, let's get in this fucking episode. Enough about the history of True Detective. All right, all right, all right. So what is the hook? Is there more you want to say about it? Nah. So <laughs> I don't know what the, the hook, hook is, but I watched it. The hook is... You're asking me what the hook is? A, no, I'm, oh I'm saying it. It's a rhetorical question. See, you got to get greased up, too. You're, you're a couple days off the wagon. No, man. I'm, not, I'm greasy. He's flying all over the place. <laughs> you're, 
Either you're not greased <coughs> up Wrong. enough or you're too greased up. And I can't hold on to it. See? See what I'm dealing with? See? The hook! Steve. Colin Farrell's <laughs> back. And he has the Infinity Gauntlet. And he's not stopping until he gets the time stone to go back into season one and kill Woody Harrelson. I'd watch the shit out of that. I told you, man. That I'm Greece. I'm like a I'm like a fucking French fry waiting to be oh, grilled. Right, right, right. You grill a fry. So, fried. This town and is in Alaska. It's a place in Alaska where night will continue on for months on end. We've seen this in Thirty Days of Night, the vampire movie. And right Josh on Hartman. the night when this happens, a group of scientists from this station called Salal Station disappear and it's up to our our detectives jody foster and Callie riez to to find out what's going on here and right off the bat here i i, I feel like i'm gonna call it i've watched this first episode twice now i feel like the answer to this entire mystery has been shown to us in some way in this first episode like it's a, it's either a blinking you'll miss it, or it's like so one too. of those things that Jodie Foster. There's a number of things that like Jodie Foster's character like brushes off or like puts away when somebody's like about to talk to her about it. So there's like, there, uh, there's this picture. Okay, okay. Well, where, I, I've, I've, I have notes here. I made notes of of notable things as I went through the order, as I went through the episode. But let's let's stay in order. Let's go through, let's go through this stuff now that we know what the hook is. Okay. What I in. first thing I noted is that it opens, yeah, fucking fifteen minutes in. It opens right um, with a quote, and I wrote the quote down, and it says, "For we do not know what beats the night." <clears throat> Let me say that again. For we do not know what beats the Thank night you. dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. And it's by Hildred Castagne. Cast- Castion. So then I wanted I went to look up who Hildred Castion is, right? Right. She's not even she's not even a person. She's a character from uh from a short story called The Repairer of Reputations from 1895. And it's like a horror Mm. fiction. And that's a I I wanted I want I do want to give us a read, but I that's about as far as I as I have here, Hildred is the protagonist and narrator of the story, and Hildred's character is much changed after sustaining a head injury and reading The King in Yellow during his convalescence. convalescence. Wait, Hildred go spends back. much Say of that his again. time poring over old books. Convalescence? Say, no, convalescence. The King in Yellow line. Say the King in Yellow line again. Convalescence. Uh, Hildred's character is much changed after sustaining a head injury and reading The King in Yellow during his convalescence. Holy shit. Hildred spends much of his time poring over old books. He never mentions work and appears to be independently wealthy. Hildred is a classic example of an unreliable narrator. As he often comments that other people appear to be humoring him or treating things he regards as very important as inconsequential or non-existent. Okay. Stop right there. The King in Yellow is a callback to season one of True Detective. Well, it's not, though. I mean, I guess it is, but the King in Yellow is... The King in Yellow is a major theme of season one. It's they the the killers of season one. Gotcha. But it but it is the but it is it's the name. So this this story, the repairer of reputations, is a short story published by Robert W. Chambers in the collection The King in Yellow from eighteen ninety five. Okay, all right. Which is also a callback so to the first it season, might, but only it might true, de- true Detective might be structured all around this around this collection. The King in Yellow. That's Possibly. certainly possible. Do, do we know? Do you remember if the other seasons open with quotes? No, I don't. But I know that the other two seasons, uh, specific, like season two and season three, uh, don't have 
virtually any callbacks to season one with the exception of season three. They briefly mention the Tuttle family from season one and uh, the uh, King in Yellow cult, like Carcosa and all that stuff that was going on in first season. It's like a brief like throwaway, throwaway line. And I think you see a newspaper clipping with uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey's face on it, but that's it. I don't know if I would count this as a callback, but yeah, I mean, this is a quote by a character in a poem that's in the collection called The King in Yellow. It's pretty far to get to The King in Yellow. What we see on screen is Hildred and the quote itself, Yeah. which back to the quote. It didn't take that much digging, it's though. For, for we do not know what beats the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. So what goes bump in the night, right? And I'll tell yeah, you, yeah. for Canadian viewers out there growing up, there was a green guy who lived in a toilet. There was a blue, no, a blue guy lived in the toilet. I think his name was Squishy. Yeah. It's a green guy, sock monster. Some people know what I'm talking about. Moving on. It's, uh, I, I took notes of, of anything substantial going through on this episode, right? Because we got to, yeah, yeah. we got to get to the bottom of this case because we are all now detectives in truth. So, oh, as you you said in your synopsis, it's in Alaska, but they specifically say it's 150 miles north of the Arctic Circle, right? So, way on the December fuck 17th. And it's the last sunset of the year. And we it opens with somebody like hunting reindeers. Mm-hmm. And we see a bunch of shots of reindeers and then all of a sudden, the reindeers just start running and going all crazy, and they all jump off of a cliff. Well, it's not all of a sudden. And I like to the think night... that this is how Santa's reindeers are chosen, and that the chosen ones, are, they end up flying away. And the most of them oh, fall to their like death. But it's how we get a new Prancer and a new Vixen and Dixon. Vixen. Mm. I like that. He's the chef. Like it's a little dark, but it's kind of cool. Um, but it's not all of a sudden. You don't think sudden. they all jumped off? I mean, didn't it cut away? I think they all jumped off, but I don't think it's all of a sudden that they like. It's not for no reason. It's because it's going. It's growing dark, like the sun is setting, and the they're running away from the darkness that's like tailing behind them. Now there might be other. Does that happen in like, nature that the reindeers run away from the darkness and jump off cliffs? I don't think so. I think there that, must be something else saying? going on here. Yeah, like a ghost. Because if the reindeers like lives up there naturally, like this happens all the time. They'd have to be used to this in some sort of way. So something else is going on here. Yeah, I do, no, I I do have a note on the reindeer. There's something going on with it there. Um, I do think the reindeer CGI was not great. There, I said it. Moving on. Uh, really? <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even notice. I thought they were real reindeer. I just I just don't like... Uh, I, I, can, I can clock CGI like nobody's business. I'm CGI. That's how I can do it. Okay. Um, oh yeah. And then we got a quick, this is, I'm glad I took notes because there are so many things, quick things, especially in the beginning chunk of this episode that I definitely would not remember. Um, there's this other part where we see a character who, this is the only scene I think we get of them and the character makes a sandwich and he brings the sandwich over to an objectively crazy man who's sitting in a chair, kind of being crazy, going like, and then he says, she's awake. Well, that's the... Uh, that's going to happen a few times. That's the that's the, uh, the scientists. Those are the scientists at the station. And he's that's making the sandwich was. for himself. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the only time we see, that we see the scientists, though, is it not? Yes, it is. But it's uh, I think we see a number of different, Aside number from of different they, scientists. Yeah, so at, at, the, at that point when they show you that, they don't even t- like tell you that they're been scientists yet. No, they tell you because there's no a guy with a whiteboard that they talk to and he's like working on – he's doing like calculations and stuff on a whiteboard. Uh, Yeah, but not that they're missing. No. It doesn't matter. I'm just I – have, I have notes. It doesn't matter. I just have notes here that I wrote down in um, – in order as well. Part of the mystery is to decide. So I don't think Steve's at this notes. point that they have said that they're all scientists. Yeah, I'll leave my notes alone. <laughs> uh, we'll go with your okay. notes. Uh, but good. I, that's it, like right at the beginning there. Um, and then I think it jumps into the the intro, the um, the the opening credits, which 
is also kind of like a quintessential thing for True Detective. The the opening credits have been something that fans of the series, like myself, we we keep an eye on and we critique and we devour because the very first season, its opening credits like basically made it basically set the template for all modern opening credits for like the next 10 years after it. Like to this day, people are still ripping off the first season. Um, the problem that I have with it is that it's a Billie Eilish song. You don't like Billie Eilish? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. I thought you were here. Going to keep talking. There. No, it's not that I don't like Billie Eilish, but I just thought it was a, I just thought it was a, a lazy choice for the caliber of show that true detective is or at least that i think it is the first season has a great intro song that's from like some unknown artist i'm sure somebody else knows who this person is but certainly not like triple a tier headlining festival artist the second season was with leonard cohen which is my favorite theme and the third season i can't remember but it's important and it's something that i picked up on i was like i'm not a fan of that season but i do like the i do like the opening credits like cut and how it's like driving through the snow at night. It's very Canadian. Uh, and I think the next couple of scenes here is when uh, Jodie Foster shows up at the at the station. Um, there, it starts off with as a missing persons case, a uh, person that drive that drops off like supplies for them. Funyuns. I bet you have Funyuns written down in your notebook somewhere. It sounds like a Steve note. I wrote. Funyuns. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote delivery guy needs signature for Funyuns. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, he calls it in because he gets there and like nobody's there except for uh, a broken copy of I think Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They're just going loop and loop and loop. I think it was during. Oh, the- it's Ferris Bueller. It's a scene where he's dancing and playing Twist and yeah, Shout. Yeah, the. And it's playing Twist and Shout on loop. Yeah, and it's really annoying. Jodie Foster comes barreling in, and it doesn't stop until Jodie Foster like punches it. Classic. Jodie and then Foster even when she does. The TV goes back to the default DVD loading screen where it just bounces off the off the sides of the edge. Which I think is interesting that you can punch a DVD player to get it to stop working, but yet it still works. (laughs) I want to talk to the prop department. (laughs) But what's the big thing here? What's the big thing about this investigation? First it's they can't find anybody, and then eventually they find our first Bueller. Because cool. remember Matthew Broderick, he killed a woman and her son. I know I've said that recently, but I, that is that's what I thought the big thing was. Yeah, True Detective season five, breaking Broderick. Come on, that was good. We're gonna break him. <laughs> um, what's the big what's the big clue here that they find, Steve? I feel like we gotta create like a whiteboard. Tongue, tongue, tongue. Not just any tongue though. Tongue. There's a fucking tongue on the ground. Yeah. Not just any tongue. No, they say that it's a probably a native woman's tongue. Yes. Because of it has lines f- from fishing lines or something. Yeah. Right? When you're fixing fishing nets, uh, it's like lines that build up after. I guess like tongues can develop like lines after licking fishing line or fish like licking something over and over and over again, which I guess kind of makes sense. I feel like you would cut your tongue though. And that's what the lines are. But the way that she says it, it sounds like it's like a callus, which doesn't make any sense to me. Can tongues get calluses? I guess anything could. Callus or a scar or something or just an indent. Yeah. Yeah. But it's important that this is mentioned because this is going to be our first clue into what might be going on here. Um, and this is where the other detective, Callie Riez, uh, Detective Navarro, or Officer Navarro, Ranger, can't remember, she starts getting involved because she hears about this. Yeah, it's Navarro. And she comes to the police station, starts asking questions, and it's revealed that Jodie Foster's character Danvers and Navarro have some sort of history together. We don't know exactly the details, but this tongue is bringing up connections to a former case that they were on, particularly involving a woman named Ann Kotok. I just want to say at one point when they're like looking around trying to figure out how the scientists all died or where they're all missing and that they're the ham sandwich that we saw the guy make is still there untouched. And Jodie Foster's like, oh, trust me, from being a mom, I can tell you that ham sandwiches can survive the apocalypse. And I'm here to tell you that they can't. 
A mimosa ham can't even survive the like couple days it's in my fridge. <laughs> I'm tired of these ham conspiracies, ham spiracies from big ham. Well, this is some sort of Ham's, ham goes ham. bad so fast. Treated ham. But this is might be the first instance of Jodie Foster hinting at having at being a mother and having kids. And then later in the episode we'll we'll see that she has a daughter of sorts, but then find out that it's not her actual daughter and that her husband is probably dead and that she had a kid who's also probably dead. So there's a lot lot of of family trauma going on. A lot to uncover here. And Jodie Foster is a very prickly, angry woman and uh, racist. She's like outwardly racist towards members of the indigenous community in Ennis, Uh, even Navarro. Uh, but I think a lot of people just kind of like, ah, she takes it as it is. Yeah, but I feel like so. there's going to be, there's, there's, they're going to get to the bottom of that. Cause you can't have a character that we're supposed to be rooting for have though, have those thoughts and feelings and not explore them more or define them or resolve them in some sort of way. Yeah. We don't even know if we're supposed to be rooting for her. That's or true. Or what and that's what I mean here, so. about like, there's like that scene that I was just talking about with um, uh, Navarro coming to the office because she heard about this this tongue thing and and it's drawing connections to this case involving Ann Kotak, who was a indigenous woman with uh, connections to the community, um, possibly a friend, old friend of Navarro's or a friend of a friend of Navarro's. Um, and during this conversation, I don't, I don't think it doesn't it doesn't appear that they were friends. Just later, it just says she was interested in it, wasn't she? There's a personal stake here. I don't know. I don't think they were friends. But it is personal. But that could be anything. For, with the girl who was murdered? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they say at the end that Navarro just has a case. She has a, a fixation with cases that involve uh, violence against women. That tracks. They said that near yeah. the end. Yeah, that, that could be it. But I feel like there's something... But of course, she's going to have her own probably personal story for why that is. Mm. Maybe she's a survivor herself. Um, We'll see how that goes. But to this conversation that that I've been mentioning, this is one of those scenes I've been talking about, uh, that I was talking about earlier, where I feel like there's a major clue in here. But I don't know exactly what that clue is, and I might be looking in the wrong wrong place, because it feels like it might be a, a magician's trick, where they're showing me one thing, but there's something else going on behind somewhere else. And what I'm talking about is Navarro in which scene, the scene where Navarro comes to the police station to talk to Danvers about the case. Cause she heard that the tongue, she heard about the tongue thing and she thinks that it might be related to Kotak. And it's the first scene that they have together. They, they, okay. they set, they, they chirp each other a little bit, but there's a moment where Navarro pulls a, an, a picture, a picture frame off the wall and is looking at it. And makes a comment of like, oh, how's this guy treating you? And it does this, it does a close-up on the frame, on the image itself. And it blurs out practically everybody else on the image except for Jodie Foster and a man beside her. Which I'm assuming is the character that uh, Navarro is talking about here. What's it's probably her dead husband or whatever. I think it's referring to, well, I right? I think it's referring to the person that she's talking about. She's like, how's this guy treating you? And it shows that, but I feel like there's like, there's like seven or six or seven other people in that photo that are blurred away so that you can focus just on Jodie Foster and that other, that other man. And I feel like there's something else there in that photo. Interesting. That's, that's, that's blurred away. And the way that they focus on the photo is in it's in a way that's like it feels long enough for me to take notice of it, you know, and yeah, hmm. yeah, I didn't catch that. I'll have to go back and take a look at the. Yeah, photo. yeah. There's a couple things uh, like that in this this episode that I picked up on where I'm like, what are, what are we not seeing here? Why what are you showing me? But I'm not seeing. Um, another character in this uh, series so hmm. far could be that that's nothing though. Could be nothing. Like I said, it could be. Nothing or a magic trick, like I'm looking in the wrong place, but something's, you know, tingling those spider senses, you know what I mean? Now, there is a another 
character mm-hmm. here that's worth mentioning. There's a couple other characters worth mentioning, actually. Um, the other detectives that are on the case, one is this young kid named uh, Peter. Peter Pryor. And Jodie Foster just bullies this poor kid around. <laughs> go, go, th- go get this. Go get that. Uh, he has a sort of pseudo-abusive father that who's also on the police force. So I think it's just like, you know, dad was on the force. Now he's on the force. Just kind of like what you do. Um, and they're going over old case files uh, involving Ann Co- uh, Kotak. There's like a B plot going on here where Peter has to go like break into his dad's place so that he can get the files from his dad. Not that his dad seemed like he was hiding them at all because they, they were out there in the open, but because the dad's a prick. Yeah, he just sort of had a room full of files. It was pretty easy to go in and just find yeah. a box. And, and they, he was able to do it in like a minute. And they explain why he has them. It's because of some flood that happened a long time ago. Right. Mm, yeah, it. it's it's some flood. It does, well, I, there there have been a few. There have been a few things. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to finish this train of thought before we move forward. Um, they get he gets his files and he goes over to Danvers' house and they start going through the files. And there's a moment where Danvers gets a text message, and uh, Peter's like, "Who's that?" Or like the phone, her phone beeps and. Uh, Peter is like, who, who's calling you or who's texting you? And she goes, like, oh, it's nothing. It's fantasy football and brushes it off. But we don't see what's on the phone. And I don't know when, when you're writing, yeah, it's probably not fantasy football. It's not fantasy football. I feel like there's something. I don't know. I, I think I could I be know. fantasy football. I think I do buy it. She, she said a few things about fantasy football. She was like, I don't know who I'm going to start on Sunday. That was all in the same scene. I think it might've just been a little a little yeah i think it might have just been a little fantasy football moment i don't know it could be but like my gut that was another one of your eagle eyes yeah it's one of my eagle ah! eye moments but it could be also nothing it could be just like a character development a killer like a little like character development seasoning you know, like she likes fantasy football tis the season mm. not sure not sure we'll see we'll yeah see. okay so kotak here is the is the connection now, they do talk about the Kotak case briefly, um, specifically how uh, Navarro feels about it and how much anger was wrapped up in her her murder. Um, and I'm not even entirely sure where they find Kotak's body because they do flashbacks and it looks like it's in a rainy dock area that could be like, you know, Seattle or something, you know? I think it was Seattle, yeah. Um, which is interesting, because wouldn't that mean it's like now Seattle jurisdiction? Or I could be just overthinking it. And it's like well, it is in Alaska. Well, it definitely it during the it, like yeah, the warm it definitely season. wasn't in Seattle. <laughs> anyway, it was in Alaska. I'm overthinking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe okay. Um, I have just before we go too far. I have okay. some. Some notes to catch up on before we go too far. Um, there's, there are a few things that I think are, um, deliberately done as as Twin Peaks things. Um, mm-hmm. One being the the father we were just talking about. His name is Hank. There's another character okay. named Cooper. There's a point where Navarro gets a call where they say Cooper here. It happened again. And I think that that line is incredibly deliberate. Oh yeah. Um, then it's happening again. We have um, that's it for the Twin Peaks stuff. But there is the 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 scene we we get of back to that woman. It was it the woman hunting the reindeer at the beginning. I didn't catch it. It was too early. But this the woman who gets who we keep getting cut back to by um, I was calling him Standing Man. There's a man that just stands there and looks at her, right. but she calls him Travis. Right. And um, the first time we see this situation, she's chilling. Travis shows up. She says, hello, Travis. What do you want? And there's a radio station situation, frequency disruption yes. thing going on. And then it cuts away. 
with us cutting back to that Travis situation several times until the very end of the episode. And he's always just sort of, you know, standing. Well, until he's not. In, in and out of reality, so it seems. <laughs> until until he's not standing. Until and he's, he's not. Until he's doing uh, some other crazy things. I do want to do want to say that I don't think the woman that you're talking about was at the beginning of the episode with the reindeer. Is that what you're saying? No. What, yeah, well, I just, they showed someone at the beginning who was pointing a gun at the reindeers and like hunting them. And I don't know if it I, was, that was her or not. No, it was an indigenous man. Because I clocked that too. Because they're wearing like similar coats, you right? know? Yeah, I don't know. The first, uh, it's tough on a show like this because the first 20 minutes or so, you just don't know what you're even looking at until you get a lay of the land. But um, then we get another sequence of this she's awake situation. Yes. Um, Like at the beginning with the sandwich, we get one where Jodie Foster is sleeping and here's a little baby ghost say, Mame. And mm-hmm. then she says, Holden. And then the baby says, She's awake. Yes. Mame, she's awake now. And then Jodie Foster looks at a stuffed polar bear that she has. That was probably like the kid's toy. Yeah. And then immediately right after this, we're in a scene where Navarro is driving and she and she's like on a call and then it gets all distru- disrupted and staticky, and then she she hears, she's awake. Yeah, and uh, then she fucking comes face to face with a polar bear standing in the middle of the in the middle of the road, a one eyed polar bear. Now, there's absolutely something going on here. These are this is our our third instance of she's awake. We now got polar bears. This could just be like a lost situation, right? Where Lost was like, you know, everyone was like, where's the polar bears? And they were like, we're going to reveal it eventually. And when they did, they were just sort of like, they're oh, yeah, yeah, there were polar bears. <laughs> Why? Well, you know, we they, they put them there. Ah. You know, it was pretty self-explanatory. So <laughs> I think, I hope there's a little bit more here. Yeah, it seems like it's a theme. Um, um, the polar con- bear with one eye is interesting. Uh, yeah, I, considering... Like the disembodied voices, I'm getting a very. Um, uh, I I hesitate to say this because I know it sounds very ignorant and possibly offensive. I'm trying to I'm trying to approach this in the most tactful way possible. But considering the themes involved with this Oof. series, you gonna offend polar bears right now? Uh, yeah. Um, there's a level of spirituality here that I feel is it, that we get from standing man travis the the crackling voices over radios radio frequencies and uh just disembodied voices that people are hearing the she's awake thing um the crackling voices that rose hears like the woman who sees travis is uh i think it's listen to me or like can you hear me something like that and it's a man's voice which could be, it could mean it's Travis trying to get her attention. Could be Travis. It is revealed to us at the end of the episode that Travis is, in fact, dead. He and is. has been dead the whole time. So he's a ghost moving around. So I don't, yeah. So spirituality, yes. But like definitely, it's safe to say there's a paranormal factor going on here. It's probably a ghost paranormal. that did it. The ghost of Anne, Anne Kotak. Probably. But. Another interesting thing to build upon the the tongue being cut out thing when they are talking about Anne, um, they mentioned she was stabbed thirty two times, she was missing her tongue, and she had star shaped wounds. Yes. Star shaped wounds. Now, what would that mean? And I feel like that's also in, an interesting thing that they're just not uh, spending a lot of time on. When I think anyone who had shape, wounds in the shape of a star would be a little concerning. So I don't know. What are we dealing with here? Starman? Starman. Is that Ace Freely? Another interesting thing is there's a, a scene where Navarro uh, hooks up with a, with a lover, possibly in a in secret. It might be a secret scenario they have here. But he calls her Evangeline. 
Now, is that just her first name and I didn't catch that? Or is that a different, like, she's not called Evangeline anywhere else in the episode. They just call her Navarro. It is her name. I have the cast listed in front of me here. Her name is Detective mm. Evangeline Navarro. So that's interesting. I was hoping for a double life situation. No. Real no. Laura Palmer, if you know what I mean. I, I like this Kothic guy. He seems like a chill guy, grounded, likes to nap. Got a good beard. Like he loves a good nap, yeah. Mm. Yeah, when... Um, Which makes him the killer. When at the end of the episode, when when Rose is uh, confronted with Travis again, and he's he gets her to... He starts walking, and she starts following. And then he sort of stands there and sort of does like a series of like Fortnite dances. And, <laughs> and he's um, like flossing. Eventually like, what points the fuck are you doing? off into the distance. He was, you know what he was doing? He was dancing like white girls, like white girls in the club. Um, at least like back in, you know, 2010, the last time I was in a club. But um, all with that, it's all with the arms and the hands. You know what I mean? It's lots of wavy arms and hands. Um, but, you know, we can stick with Fortnite. It looks like Fortnite. Yeah, there we go. I've seen it that. It looks like Fortnite. Uh, he points off into the distance. Points off into the distance, and uh, she follows him and finds all of the frozen scientists. Did. Um, it's. Do you think that was their actual? Are all their bodies there? It just looked like a bunch of heads, and I saw like a, I did see a hand. Well, it looked like a bunch of frosted heads. It does look like a fr- bunch of frosted heads. My my question is like when they were talking about. Like earlier in the episode when Danvers was at the station with uh like little Peter and her other detective buddy, um, she mentions that they were gone. They must be gone at least forty eight hours. But considering like what the what shape the station was in, and considering like the food and how things were left, it can't be too much longer than that. Like certain things weren't haven't gone. Like it wasn't like that sandwich has completely like rotted out entirely. Like the mayonnaise of melted and stuff like that the no color, it, the washer smells dirt smells dirty. It, I, I, according to jody foster that sandwich is like good to go but <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure in that sequence they said the tongue looks about 40 hours old the tongue might i didn't catch the tongue being 40 hours old i know that they said that the the doctors were missing for at least 40 yeah, they hours. said the people Missing for at least forty-eight hours, and then when they found the tongue, that they they were showing uh, showing it up close and talking about the signs of age, and said, "Okay, yeah, it looks forty hours old." So around the so, same time. Around the same time. So my now, do you think that the guy in the beginning who was going crazy getting his sandwich, going right? Do you think he's the one who got the tongue cut out? Because he was pretty annoying. If I would cut his tongue out too. Well, it's hard to say. It's hard to say right now. Um, Danvers seemed pretty intent on calling it a woman's tongue. But. Oh, yeah. yeah you're right. They did, they did say that multiple times and with the netting marks. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. like, who is she to say that? What is she? Some sort of tongue expert? Huh? Well, yeah. that She does actually seem to know quite a bit about tongues, more than me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'd give her an expert, but she's she's pretty close. Maybe a blogger, content not creator. Already, you know. Oh yeah, tongue blogs. Yeah, big on it. Tugs tongue streams. Twitch dot tongue. My question is that when Rose finds the 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 heads in the snow, is forty eight hours enough Hits. time for people to like freeze to that level? Like in the snow, and like, has the does snow build up at that rate? You think we're dealing with an ice ghost? Think well, we're dealing with an ice ghost here. They look like they were buried in the ice, and I don't know how that yeah. happens in in like just a couple of days. Avalanche. There's no mountains around. It looks like pretty flat land, if you ask me. Travis had no problem walking in bare feet. When to go? That tracks. The other thing that is interesting, well, we're, too, we're, de- we're definitely dealing with some sort of some sort of uh, paranormal force here, for sure. We might for be. sure we are tongue. We got tongues. 
she's awake. There's she is somebody, right? She someone's awake. Somebody's awake. And it's possible that it could be and what's her name? Kotak. Correct. It's probably it could be her maybe because that's the only other thing we have to really go on. Maybe she became some sort of demon tongue lady. Ice ghost. That that tracks. I mean, there's a level. Yes, you're right. There, there's a level of paranormalism. I think we need going. to go back. We have to go we back. Go back to the beginning and look at the quote. For we do not know what beats the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. All right. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> I think it means that there's a lady with no tongue who's going around stealing tongues and chasing reindeers off cliffs and she took a long nap. All right. I think let's back up here. What do we know? What do we know to be a fact right now? We're going to do detective logic. What do we know to be a fact? About this case. All right, detectives of the truth. Tongues. We All found right. a tongue. We found a tongue, but we 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 aren't sure whose tongue it is, and whether or not we can trust the 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 conclusion made by Danvers about what kind of tongue it is. Okay, hold on. <laughs> we got to go back to the top and look at the quote. For we do not know what beats the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. Okay? And immediately after that, the show opens, right? In Alaska, 150 miles north of the Arctic Circle on December 17th, the last sunset of the year. And then we see the reindeers and they jump off the cliff. It is specifically noted that it is the last sunset of the year. So much so that we are keeping track later in the episode on December 20th. They mentioned that it's the third day of night now. Mm-hmm. So there is a factor of the darkness here that plays. And in the quote, when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake, everyone knows God's not awake in Alaska. He sleeps 24-7 and just lets Alaska do its own thing. Okay. So we do, so that's <laughs> so for what for we do not know what beats the night dreams tongues right and Billie Eilish but the second part is definitely the second part of that quote is definitely to do with the Alaska 30 days a night situation that we are finding ourselves in here night is for sure a factor that seems to be what triggers if, if the reindeer, like you said, are just scared and, and running from an evil force and jumping off the cliff, I feel like that the, the last day of sunset there is allowing for that evil force to come out. Yeah. Maybe it's a vampire. It's probably going to be vampires, isn't it? Everything in Alaska is a fucking vampire. Everything's a vampire. Well, that's a, uh, the other thing that I'm thinking here, and this is, I think I've said this before in other shows that we've uh, we've covered is there's a possibility that this could all be some sort of group hallucination no, don't. caused by being stuck at night all the time because you don't know when to go to sleep. You don't know when to wake up. Like You just have a very tenuous grasp on what time is. And I, I and that was something that was kind of fucking with me when I was watching I this say. episode. Like You don't know what time it is. Like It could be like early morning. It could be... Late at night, it's just it's just it's just not clear, and I could fuck with you. I gotta say, I really thought you were going to say that you that it was a Jacob's Ladder scenario, <laughs> um, but I see that you've moved on from that, and, and I'm happy for you actually. Thank and you. I regret even bringing it up and putting it back into your mind. But what if this whole thing is a Jacob's Ladder situation from the reindeer's perspective? Oh, now we're talking. The reindeer died when they jumped off the cliff. Yeah. Santa's They've been ladder. dead the whole time. The hospital scene is just going through Santa's workshop. Ah! There's a the part where jo- Jody Foster poured some Baileys in a guy's gas tank. That'll teach him. Uh, that was Navarro. Yeah. <laughs> Navarro. 
Dave Navarro. So we know what we know is that tongue is involved. We know that Ace, there's a tongue. There's there's a bunch of scientists missing. We possibly have, have found them by the end of the episode. Yeah, and they looked like they had tongues, but we don't know. I think that's it. I mean, we definitely found them. That's them. That's got that. That's them. Unless that's there's all, another group we of know. fucking men just like hiding in the ice. No, that's them. You're yeah, absolutely. that's them for sure. That's them. absolutely. Um, which is interesting, and and the other thing that we know, which is also interesting to say because it's a it's something that we can't know, is this level of paranormal activity broad like that that permeates this this episode and i'm talking specifically about travis because rose would not have been able to find those bodies without the help of travis unless she's involved in another aspect but i think it's unlikely rose seems like a nice log lady yeah and at the end of the episode there but you know they ask her she says travis told me they say but rose travis is dead and she says i know that then it ends, right? So she knows that she's talking to a ghost. And that's a straight up acknowledge, acknowledgement of the paranormal factor uh, to our characters. Yeah. So I do think we're going to see things get ramped up pretty fast in the paranormal factor here. Um, we're not doing a Twin Peaks rope dope at all, really. It didn't, um, there wasn't really much time at all where I thought that this might be humans at the bottom of this and not some sort of ghost. Um, paranormal sitch yeah but, uh yeah i'm pretty confident that that is what we're dealing with it, it does seem like it could be some sort of local indigenous folklore situation there was a scene where someone's kid was like drawing a monster peter's kid yeah and um yeah and then he was like oh you you let him hang out with your mother-in-law again or something like that grandma and i guess she grandma whatever implies that she is reinforcing this this uh myth this mythic creature to the to the kid and he's drawing it and almost certainly we're gonna see that thing or that thing we're gonna get more of that thing yeah that's it that's that it right there that's what's doing it yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and well if you look at the photo or look at the picture that he's drawing it looks like a woman <laughs> Like it's it's I mean it's like a crayon it's a toilet with legs, <laughs> but um yeah it's like it's it's drawing crayon so it's quite crude but it from the brief glimpse that we get from it it looks like a woman with uh, hands that are bleeding or maybe bleeding wrists or something like that something is bleeding and falling to me it looked hands. like the green guy from Monsters Inc. Mike Wazowski the eyeball guy looked like him yeah well but you know art. It was blue. Subjective, isn't it? So probably closer to Sully. Yeah, he's green. But it was so it's a lady with bleeding hands. So that's her. She woke up when that kid drew a picture of her. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she's like a oh. reverse bear and she sleeps throughout the summer and wakes up in the winter. The other clue that we have when um Danvers goes through the old Kotok files is that she finds an image or finds a picture with Kotok wearing a parka and that parka strikes a stri- uh is has a striking resemblance to one of the uh, Salal scientist parkas that they found there but even Danvers says it could be anything there's millions of parkas out there who's to say that this is the same one it might be the same color but there's no way to know it is sure. we are I, i'm telling you we are we're here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that it definitely is the same one. Yeah, it's probably the same one. For so, sure it is. Parka is going in the in <laughs> what we know pile. And this is going to be fun because next episode, I'm going to get real baked and I'm going to try to decipher my notes here. Yeah, I like that. In the world of the characters, of course, it makes sense that, oh, the Parka could belong to anyone. But in the world of us, the viewer, you spend a lot of time talking about this Parka, man. Yeah. It's got to be someone. Well, that's the, thing. that's the thing Parker about man. writing is like you Parker don't man. show anything that you don't want people to pay attention to. And that goes back to what I was saying about the fantasy football text. It, unless you're trying to just unless you're trying to just drive people crazy like you do in shows like Twin Peaks and Lost and 
even the first season of True Detective that I've seen that one at least I can speak for that one. But a lot of times you do just put a polar bear in the middle of the street and let people wonder why it's there. It's true. Never tell them. You never tell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also would like to take the approach here, um, speaking of Lost, that this whole thing is a branch of the Dharma Initiative. We do know that they had some uh, facilities set up in uh, in the Arctic, you know, in a, an Alaskan-type situation. Uh, we do know that uh, their affinity for the polar bear. And... Um, you know, maybe it's a smoke monster that's terrorizing the town. Actually, Benjamin Linus. I, I'm glad you brought this up because I do have a note regarding the the station, the science, the science station that they at that the mystery is okay. unfolding at Salal. Um, so I went and looked up uh, what Salal means, um, and on a cursory sort of Google search, it means. Something along the lines of to get to to grow in darkness or to gain shadows, which you know hmm. ties into the into the night country. Well, they mention how the scientists have have been there um, year round. They're always there. They never leave. They are uh, trying to find the secrets of the universe. So it could be metaphoric for you know for them living in their own world of darkness and isolation possibly but then i started digging a little bit remember more. when they're going through looking at all their stuff and i'm pretty sure they pretty sure they found a wilco t-shirt remember that yeah yeah i still see those around wilco um but Every i even now and then i i uh I, d- I dug a little bit further and the word salal actually refers to a fictional area in an Edgar Allan Poe and Jules Verne book. Uh, I can't remember the actual names, Uh Um, but they are mystery type stories, but they're like written in obviously they're, they're they're both written in like 18 whatever. So it's like really hard to define what those, what the types of stories they are. But from what I got by looking at, what these books were about. It looked like it was about a group of explorers that go missing and maybe eat each other. Hmm. Question mark. <laughs> I don't know. It was really Not hard to man. kind of like define what it is. Cause the, the uh, uh, books from like 1855 and 1895, like they're just like, they're really just difficult to, to break through sometimes. Cause the language is all different, even though it's English, but it's just like, it's just written. It's not written to be read. <laughs> you know? It's not written to be read. <laughs> well, I think that's it for our coverage of the first episode of True Detective Season yeah. 4. Yeah, we'll come back to this. I'm going to build up a like a case file. Case file, report, night country. Ooh, I like that. All right, we'll leave it there. I think uh, let us know your thoughts on this if you were watching it. Um you know, if not, uh, hope you start watching it. Otherwise, this won't make any sense here. It barely makes any sense to me as it is. Thank you for listening. Watch out for polar bears out in the middle of the road. You never know. And with this type of season out, the road's pretty icy. So you want to break well before you are anywhere near at least twice the length of your car away from a polar bear. Thank you for supporting us here on Patreon. <laughs> And we will see you again next week.